Good morning and welcome to Valley Lights Church. All right, summer's here. It's been hot this weekend. You probably have felt the heat. It's July. We, I, I think we scooted by in June just a little bit with some cooler weather, but it's hot. And uh, this is the time of year that people take vacations, school's out. For a lot of you, probably your, maybe your schedule is a little bit more relaxed than it is during the rest of the year. And so during the summer, especially this month, in, especially this month, I'd say, you might notice slightly fewer events and groups being organized by the church. But quality time with other people doesn't have to slow down, even if the church isn't organizing things. And I think there's a real big opportunity to uh, enjoy time with others during the summer. And I think there's a few ways. I, I wanted to, before we jumped into the message today, I wanted to just highlight a few possible ways you could help us keep our relational community strong and vibrant during the summer. And so here's a few ways to take initiative during the summer. You could, you might consider inviting someone from church over for dinner. Just host somebody, throw something on the grill, or welcome some people into your house or your apartment. Um, you could also host a gathering, like a, a pool party or a game night or a beach trip, and just send out an invite to some people. You might also include some others in any recreational activities. Maybe you like to hike or play pickleball or do walks in the evening around parks or go to the dog park. Um, or just bring others into your rhythm. Whatever, whatever it is your rhythm is during the summer, I don't know what it is that you like to do, what kinds of things do you enjoy doing, do those things, but in, include some people as you do them. And so if you, if you were to do any of these things this summer, I'd say especially in July or August, it would probably require some initiative on your part. Um, all of these take initiative, and you might not feel like that much of a planner. Maybe you're like, oh, I, I can't do this. I'm not an organizer. You don't have to be an organizer. You can maybe just step outside your comfort zone slightly, send a text message. Um, but I, I really think if you were to initiate some kind of gathering or just time together or a dinner, I think it could be a very meaningful time for people. If you invite or host or include, people might walk away from that with gratitude, like, man, I'm really glad they, they put that together. I'm really glad they opened their house. That was a really special time together. So in this way, you can help us create a sense of belonging and community during the summer, even if there's fewer church-wide things organized. And so maybe, maybe pick one of these things and do it in July. And then maybe do one of these again in August. You just initiate something. Imagine um, how connected we could feel during the summer if each of us were reaching out to spend time together. So uh, that's some encouragement for the summer. Uh, today, we're going to jump into the last message in a series of messages called Why God? When we've been um, looking at a lot of questions. So there's questions that people ask. They have for God. And they're like, God, why are you doing this? Why, God, why is this happening? And... We, I did a Google search to find out what are some of the top questions that people have for God. In the first week of this series, we answered the question, why is God letting bad things happen to me? That's a big question. That's, that's a question related to people's problems and suffering and trying to make sense of that. Last Sunday, we answered the question, why is God not answering my prayers? I'm praying, but he's not, he's not coming through, or just no, and I, or I can't hear anything. And that's, that's a question that could be a source of confusion and disappointment. And so you can check out those messages if you missed those on our website or on our podcast. But today we've got another Why God question. And, you know, it's Fourth of July weekend. So this one relates to our country. And the question is, 
Why is God letting our nation change? I've heard people ask some form of this question. You know, there's like, what's going on in the world around us? There's, there's things happening that I, maybe I don't like. The general idea behind this question, I think, is perhaps some disappointment about things happening in our country. Maybe, there, maybe you're seeing what's going on in our world. You know, I'm talking about like the United States of America. And maybe you, you see that and you feel a little distressed. Um, and, and probably no matter what side of the political spectrum you fall on, I, I doubt there's, no, no matter who you are, like politically, I, I doubt there's anyone who's just completely thrilled about everything that's happening in our country. There's, we, we might not all agree, even in this room, we may, perhaps we don't agree on every issue, but we might at least all agree that there's some polarizing and there's some divisive things happening in our world around us. And so as you look around our country, even our state, you might feel sad. One emotion you might feel is sad. Because maybe you feel like, man, things, things are just not quite the way they used to be. And sometimes I feel that way. I feel sad sometimes when we go on a walk near our house and we pass the elementary school and there's these giant black metal bars surrounding the school. And I think, and I know it, it didn't used to always be that way. There used to just be, it was just open and kids would run from their houses to school and kids would play in the playgrounds and stuff like that. Now it, it looks a little bit more like a prison. <laughs> and you know, they're really nice black metal bars, but it's, I'm like, this, this is not the way, it's not the way it used to be. It's kind of, and you know, there's good reasons for the fences, obviously, but man, maybe you feel sad and you're like, you look back and like things in our country are not the way they, they used to be. Or if you look around, you might, another emotion you might feel is mad. You might really disagree with some trends in our culture or with some of the laws that are being passed or some of the laws that are trying to get passed. And some people, they feel mad and they just want to leave California because of it and <laughs> go to a place of the country that's slightly less crazy, they would say. And if you think things are going bonkers and crazy around here, then maybe you feel, you feel frustrated. Another emotion that comes up, I think, when you look around is fear. Maybe some of the trends, that are, the things that are happening, make you feel worried. And maybe if you're a parent and you have kids, then you're wondering, man, how do I, how do I bring up kids right in this country, in this day and age? I've heard, I've heard a lot of people that have left the parenting stage, some older folks say, I'm just glad I'm not bringing up kids in, in the world these days. I've heard that so many times in the past, especially since 2020, like people say that over and over again. And uh, actually the very first person I ever met in Santa Clarita said that in a conversation. And but, but, you know, the fear that, that you might feel might not even be related to kids, but just a sense of gloom, perhaps, that hangs over the future of our country, and it makes you feel anxious and worried. Like, where, where are we headed, and, and who's driving this thing anyway? And then one last emotion that you might feel when you look around is confusion. Maybe you, you, you look at what's happening and you say, like, how, how can all of this be happening? The world seems confused. The world seems confused about a lot of things right now, things that really shouldn't be that confusing. And man, that makes me feel confused. Like, what, how, do, how do we make sense out of everything that's going on? It's just like, man, there's, it seems like there's just wild and crazy things going on. And we get to celebrate the 4th of July in just a couple days. And that is a day to celebrate the good things about our country. And there's a lot. And there's, there's, a, there's an opportunity to celebrate the thing, some of the things that our country was founded on. But with each 4th of July that passes, and maybe each parade that passes, and in the parade, all the agendas that pass by you in the parade, 
And, and, and every, every holiday, maybe, maybe there's just a growing sense of disappointment inside you, or maybe there's a, maybe a mix of emotions. But my question, I guess, is, is our country off track, at least in some ways? And, and if so, how do, how do we get things back on track? How does God view our nation? The Bible gives us some much-needed perspective on this question. So I want to start by, by giving one really big answer that, you know, why is God letting this happen to our nation? Here's at least one slice of that pie, and it's, it's Satan keeps the nations deceived. This is a strong theme in the Bible. Satan is, is he's behind a lot of what you're seeing. This is one big reason that our nation is veering off course. As we speak right now, today, this morning, Satan is currently deceiving the whole world. Every nation in the world. And every nation that has existed before us as well. In Revelation chapter 12, it says, the ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, he's the one who deceives the whole world. And that word deceives in the Greek, it uh, comes from the word planao, and it means, it means to cause to stray. Like there's this, he's de- as he's deceiving, people are straying and wandering away from truth, away from spiritual safety, away from God. And that's, that's been his role in the world, is every nation then is, is straying, and every nation is unable to set an accurate course towards truth, spiritual truth, and, and just well-being because of Satan. He is deceiving and causing the world to wander. So imagine for a moment that the whole world, or the world, is, is a boat on the water, and all the nations of the world are represented by um, the boat in the picture. It's kind of like people are water skiing behind the boat. We'll have this water skier be represented by the flesh. Um, the flesh meaning people that are not Christians, but also those of us who are Christians, and when we're guided by our, our passions and our desires, we're just, we're just following the way the world goes. We're, we're on this water ski. The, or at least the flesh, the flesh part of us is doing that. And so there's this, this heavy influence on us and on people the, according to the values of the world, and the things that are popular in our culture, and, and really how the world defines truth and reality. And then here's, here's, here's the worst part of it. The person driving the boat is the devil. <laughs> if, you were to, if you were to picture, you know, pictorialize Revelation chapter 12, it's the, the boat of the world, all the nations, are being driven by Satan. And his hands are on the wheel. Where Satan drives, the nations go. People across the planet are pulled in the wandering direction of the devil. Satan steers the way people think. He steers the way people live, fashions, ideas, beliefs, every aspect of culture when people follow him. In Ephesians, it talks about this. It says that people... Before we become Christians, people are dead in their sins and walk according to the ways of the world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, it's referring to Satan, the spirit now working in the disobedient. So Satan's, Satan's very involved in what's going on in our world. And since our nation is just one of the many nations being led by him, you could say, you could say that the U.S. is fighting a losing battle, morally speaking. As a whole nation, America is under the sway of Satan, and it will wander farther and farther away from the truth. That's what he does. That's how it goes. Maybe you've noticed some cultural decay in our world. Maybe it seems that the decay and the moral breakdown, I think it'll get even worse. 
1 John 5, 19 says, we know, we know that we are of God, those of us that, are, that follow Jesus, but the whole world is under the sway of the evil one. So maybe you're hoping that we'll have a dramatic turnaround. Maybe if we just get the right person elected in office, or if we just get the right laws passed. If you hope that the U.S., meaning like the whole entire complete nation, like everybody in the U.S., you're hoping that the whole nation will have a dramatic turnaround morally and spiritually. I don't see very much in scripture that supports that idea. In fact, I think it'll get worse because from the Bible, we know that the U.S. will eventually come to an end. Our country will eventually come to an end and get destroyed. The United States will end. This is another point. We look at this. This kind of answers the question about our country. The United States will end. God's kingdom will endure forever. And I'm going to show you, I'm going to show you why I think this is true. There are, how many nations in the world has there ever been, by the way? Does anybody know? Do you even have a guess about how many nations there are? Thou, at least thousands, right? And since the beginning, so like, since like, you know, let's say, let's say since like, I'm actually going to show you a video of some of them, and you're not even going to possibly be able to count them. But I'm going to show you a video, and it's a very fast time lapse. Actually, if you, if you want to do tally marks, you'll have to like scribble like this as fast as you can when I show you this video. This is a very fast time lapse of the history of the world in two minutes. And it's going to help you grasp the idea that nations get established, even really powerful ones, and then they end. One after another, every Asian nation ends. All right, so check this out. I'm going to try to describe some of what's happening as it goes. Let's see. If we... Woo! There we go. Okay, it started at about 3000 BC. You see the old, there's Egypt there. You see nations. You can lower that volume just slightly. Thanks, guys. So all these nations are popping up and disappearing as time goes on. This is very, very ancient history here. It's, it's primarily here in the middle, the middle Eastern area, things popping up and disappearing, but you got some things happening in Asia. It's about 1000 BC right now. You might recognize some of those. Most of those you probably have never heard of before. There's the Neo-Assyrian Empire, it's a big area. Babylon. And occasionally you see just one nation just take over a massive part of the, of the area. Okay, we're at, oh, about to be at zero, almost at zero BC in just a minute here, which is when Jesus came, there it is. Then Rome starts taking over the Mediterranean area. A lot more is happening in Asia. But every second, things are popping up and disappearing. Like these, you're seeing nations rise and fall instantly. Every second, how many are, how many are rising and falling? Every nation has people and leaders and governments starting to move into Africa a bit now. Into the Slavic areas, there's, there's nations beginning to start as well. Kingdoms in China are getting bigger. This is now about 1000 AD. The Mongol Empire just literally like obliterates that part of the, the world for a period of time. See a little bit happening in the Western Hemisphere now. Some in South America and Central America. This colonization happens. Russia starts to take over that northern part of the Eastern Hemisphere. You see France and Spain taking over parts of the beginning part of our country. But again, just think about how many nations are rising and falling right now. And then here it slows down in just a second. You'll see the world mostly as we know it right now. So, pretty fascinating. We think about, oh my goodness, 
how many nations were there <laughs> that existed and then disappeared, and how many of them no one's ever even heard about. Nobody even knows that they were there. It's amazing that the, I spread that video up. The original video on YouTube is 16 minutes long if you actually want to like see what they were. But the overwhelming sense that I get from that video is, is this. Every nation rises and falls. Isn't it amazing how special we feel on our little slice of the timeline? Imagine how special, I don't know, the ancient Egyptians felt, or the Romans, or people in, in every part of the country. They just felt, man, like our country is the best. It's the most popular. We're, we're amazing. But you know what? We're not, when I see that, I feel like, I guess we're not that big of a deal after all. There's been quite a few people before us. And you probably don't spend that much time thinking about the total destruction of the U.S. It's not a very happy thought. But it is going to happen eventually. We have an incredible hope, though. Listen to what is coming at the end of history from the book of Daniel. It says, in the days of those kings, the God of the heavens will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, and this kingdom will not be left to another people. It says, it will crush all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it's, it itself will endure forever. If you, look at, if, you look, if you study the book of Daniel, it says all, all of the other kingdoms, all the other nations will be crushed and destroyed and come to an end, and there will be one that lasts. God's kingdom will never be destroyed. And his, history shows us that. All the other ones do eventually fade out. Um, and God's kingdom will be the one that finally crushes and overthrows all the others, and it will last forever. It will be eternally enduring. So all those kingdoms on that video that you just watched, even our own nation, I think they're like chess pieces that God himself is moving around. As I said, all those nations are under the sway of Satan, and he he really heavily influences how they all go, but ultimately, even above Satan is God, moving things around in line with his plans, which means that history, if you add a space, is actually his story. History is God's story. We can trust that God is sovereignly moving all of history in the direction of his desired plans, and his plans will never be thwarted. We never need to fear what's going to happen to us in the very end. And there's more good news besides that. Christ followers already belong to a nation that's pleasing to God. Sometimes a concern comes up, you know, about our country and what does God think about the U.S. and what, what is he going to do to us? Will he judge us? And, and there's a bunch of questions related to that. But if we, if we are genuine followers of Christ, we're, we're actually aligned. We're citizens of a different nation if, if you have made Jesus your Lord and Savior, you have stepped into a new family. You have a brand new citizenship. You get a new birth certificate. Your, your ethnicity, spiritually speaking, is redefined. Peter puts it this way in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. So the, the question we've been asking, like, hey, why, why, why is God letting this happen to our nation? Well, actually, the word nation comes up here in this verse. We belong to a holy nation. We become a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You were, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. So Peter doesn't really spend much time thinking about ethnicity or countries in this part of the Bible. He just says, no, you, you weren't a people. He's like, I, 
the people group that you associated with before this is sort of irrelevant because now you are a people. You are the people of God. That is your, that's, that's who you are. And so I don't think God cares so much if we're people of America or people of Russia or people of Argentina or people of the Philippines. Those national identities are, they're important, but they're less important than the glorious reality of being the people of God, being a part of his holy nation which the people of God is made up of people from every continent and ethnicity. So whenever we get sad, if you ever feel sad about the direction that our country is headed, it might be because we're identifying a little too strongly as Americans. We forget which nation, the greater nation that we actually belong to. And so sometimes we feel sad looking around and it might be because we're a little bit more concerned about the health of this physical country more than proclaiming our heavenly country. And verse 9 says that one of our big responsibilities as God's citizens is to proclaim the praises of God. That in a way, it's like, a, it's like our, our civic duty, spiritually speaking, and our privilege to tell people how to leave darkness and to step into God's marvelous light. I don't know if you've ever heard anyone refer to America as a Christian nation. Has any, have you ever heard that before? I, I think maybe it's slightly less common now, but you know America has some good origins, and I would say there have been some great advances for the cause of Christ that have happened on American soil. Really good things. There, there's some spiritual victories to praise God for as it relates to our country. But the truth is, God holds individuals accountable, which means there's, there's no such thing as a Christian nation. It's a, it's, it's a phrase that doesn't exist. <laughs> because there. You, a nation is not um, a spiritual identity that can receive salvation. Like, America itself can't receive... Like, people can be saved by Jesus. But, you know, and as a nation, an entire country cannot. And so that, that what this means is only individual men and women can be saved and become Christians. It's the same reason that Chick-fil-A is not technically a Christian company. <laughs> it might be a company started by Christians... Um, and I would say because of that, you know, there's, there's going to be no drive through lines in Chick-fil-A in heaven when we get there. That the streets are paved with gold and your first meal is going to be a chicken sandwich with waffle fries. And it's going to be good. But look at what Peter says about individuals in Acts. As it relates to, to he, he, he can contrast nations to people. And he says, he says this, Peter began to speak, Now I truly understand that God doesn't show favoritism, but in every nation... The person who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. So Peter is talking about individuals here. Within every nation, God is going to look at, at each of us. He's going to look at you and me one by one. Every single person. And we are all individually accountable to God. So we can become acceptable to him. Um, not entire nations are able to become Christian. So in the phrase, no favoritism, he, that Peter says there, it means that God doesn't give any special privilege to any particular country or to Americans. No special privilege to French or Africans or Puerto Ricans or, or any ethnic background. Not, he doesn't even give special privilege to Jews, the country of Israel. It says all racial barriers are broken down. The offer for eternal life is made to everyone. And God will save people on the same principle. Not by their passport or their birth certificate. People are saved by putting their faith in Christ alone. 
no matter where you're from. And so I, I do want to make one more point that addresses some of that anxiety that sometimes we feel when we see the slide into moral decay in the world around us. You know, when we, when we look around and we think maybe it, it feels like the world is getting darker. It feels like things are moving in a dark direction and there's more confusion. If you feel that way, you're not alone. God will bring his people through a sea of ungodliness. There is tremendous hope that we know that God will bring us no matter how dark the darkness gets, God will bring us through. In Peter's second letter, he reminds us of, of two guys, Noah, Noah and Lot. So maybe you, may, maybe you know Noah, Noah's Ark, and Lot is the guy where he left Sodom and Gomorrah and the fire fell down. And so he, he references these two guys, which I think is really fascinating. Noah lived in a time of great evil. There was violence and wickedness and depravity. So I'm quite sure it was worse than what we have right now. Uh, but Noah probably thought, he's like, I've got to be the only one in a land full of darkness that's following God. How do I raise a family in this? Noah had kids. I'm sure none of the kids in the neighborhood were probably good kids to play with at that time. Noah, but as, as Noah felt distress, probably, I don't think he hated his countrymen. I think it's that he, he preached to them. He lovingly told people that God's judgment was going to come, but nobody wanted to listen. Nobody wanted to turn away from sin. People, everyone else rejected God. And so I, I wonder, before the flood happened, I wonder if Noah ever worried that all of the evil just might swallow them up. He's like, there's just so much evil and darkness. But the truth is, even though he felt very, very small in a massive world of darkness, God miraculously saved Noah and his family with the flood. And the flood now for us represents a sea of ungodliness. Noah trusted God and he was saved. And then Peter tells us about Lot, this other guy. And he lived during the time of Sodom and Gomorrah where there was crazy evil and wickedness. There was homosexuality and every kind of sexual immorality happening combined. It was like sexual immorality combined with brutish violence. It was really bad. And even though it was awful, Lot didn't hate the people in his country either. He was very distressed. He pleaded with them to do what was right. Every single day, he lived in distress, seeing the slide of evil. It's written about Lot. It says, that righteous man lived among them day by day, and his righteous soul was tormented by the lawless deeds that he saw and heard. He was so distressed. But Lot trusted God, and God brought him through the fire that fell on those wicked cities. The fire did not fall on Lot's family, and they escaped. And you can read, besides those guys, you can read about the exiles in Babylon. You can read about the early Christians in Rome. And in every story, we find God miraculously bringing his people through a sea of ungodliness into spiritual safety forever. And so given these examples, Peter writes, The Lord then knows how to rescue the godly from trials. The Lord knows how to keep the unrighteous under, the, under punishment for the day of judgment. We know God will rescue us. Peter calls us exiles and sojourners in his letter, in his first letter. Those are important titles. Those words mean we're just temporary residents here in the U.S. We're, we're people that are just passing through. 
But here in Southern California, sometimes we forget that. We forget we're passing through. We, you know, people tend to hunker down, get all cozy, find a nice house and a nice place to live and live the good life. And, and we, and mentally, we just kind of become official residents, permanent residents of the land. And Peter says, don't think of yourself that way. Think of yourself as a sojourner. You're just moving through. Don't get attached. Yes, we are very grateful for this place that we live. And there, there's a lot to be grateful for. But we don't, we don't belong here. And this country will pass away. And we will not. Those of us that follow Jesus, we will not pass away. We'll move on. God will make sure that we make it to safety. So, Peter makes all these comments, I think, because at times it feels like the darkness is winning. And you're like, man, things are out of control. Like, evil is taking over our society. There's these big gains being made for the wrong side. Morality is slipping away, and people are losing touch with reason and rationality, and it's so concerning to see our country change. But Peter says, take heart, exiles. Take heart, sojourners, no matter how small you feel. No matter how much of a minority you Christians are, and sometimes the min- Noah was a minority. Lot was. They were the only ones. No matter how much of a minority we are, and no matter how massive the world of ungodliness feels, God will save his people in the most stunning way when judgment comes, just like he did with those others. So this is roughly my answer to the question, why is God letting our country change? And as you, as you wrestle through it yourself, thinking through as you watch things happen, here, here are some next steps that might be helpful for you. Um, this, the very most, most important next step would be to become a citizen of God's kingdom. To join the heavenly kingdom that will endure forever. So as we mentioned, every individual is going to be accountable to God for themselves. And God's looking at each of us. He's looking at you right now. Will you turn from your sin and turn to God? Will you make Jesus your Lord? The people in Noah's day, they heard about God, but they rejected him and they got swept away. In Lot's day, they got burned up with fire. And God presents us with the chance to escape his wrathful judgment. So the question is for all of us is, will you trust Jesus? And if you do, if you make him your Lord and your Savior, then you step into God's family and you step into his kingdom. And then you know that this whole world is going to burn up in fire and get passed away, but we're going to make it through. We'll make it to the end. If you've already become a follower of Christ, then perhaps the next step for you would be to identify with God's nation more than my worldly nation. So wherever you're from, hey, praise God for your country. <laughs> praise God for the U.S., There's good things here. God has done really good things here. But don't get your heart wrapped up primarily in that nation. The 4th of July, on Tuesday, hey, let's celebrate with Thanksgiving. Let's let's recognize what God has done here. But focus, even on 4th of July, focus on your true nation. Remember that you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's possession. Remembering that prevents us from getting all distressed and all worked up when our country is in decay. We're not surprised and we're we're okay with that. And then another next step might be is to proclaim the good news wherever you live. You can share the gospel like Noah 
and like Lot or like Peter. None of, the, none of those guys hated their countrymen. They didn't hate their countries. They loved the people that they lived with, and they wanted to see more people turn to God. And so what those guys did is they shared the good news about God and about Jesus so that more people would be saved. And the way that you can do this last next step, one way is to invest deeply in a church like this one that is working to help people find God and learn to walk with Him. Share your faith. Do good in the places where you live, where you work, where you play. Personally, I think this is a great time to raise kids. You know, every time you hear someone say, like, God, oh, this is, how could you bring up kids in this? I say, I think it's a great time, honestly, because I'm not fearful about what's ahead, even if it means suffering for us, even if it means suffering for our kids, which I think the likelihood of that is pretty high. But I'm not fearful about that, because I know what God says about it, and I trust God to bring us through the flood and through the fire to his heavenly kingdom. If you were to walk away from a message like this and, and think like, man, pastor does not care about the U.S. one bit. <laughs> the truth is, I don't hate America. I, I really am grateful for this country. I love living here, and I praise God for the gains made for Christ on our soil. And I pray against evil from happening in our city and in our country. And I pray for good to happen so that many people experience God's blessing in this country. I love Americans. But when America's time runs out, that's okay. My love for God's kingdom is so great that my love for America pales in comparison. I cannot wait to be in exile no longer. I cannot wait to have my feet firmly planted on the soil of God's eternal kingdom. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to step into your family and your kingdom. There is such a privilege and an opportunity that you give us to walk with you and to do life according to your ways. Being a citizen in your kingdom is so good. And sometimes we have questions in our mind while we're living in this life and in this world about what you're doing or how do we navigate the darkness, but you've provided a path for us and the instructions for us. We thank you for that. I pray that you'd use our church in our individual lives here to bring good in our city and in our country, that we, you, you show us, Lord, what is the good that we can do to bring spiritual blessing and help people know about salvation in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.